listening to Redeemer Church of Denton's sermon audio. For more information about Redeemer Church, visit us online at RedeemerDenton.com. So what if I told you I was going to use a car as a paperweight, or a computer as a bat, or a toilet bowl as a fish tank? What if I told you I was going to take this guitar and use it as a drumstick, or even an oven as a bowling ball, or a skateboard as a car? You might be looking at me and saying, what? You have not gotten enough sleep. Clearly, having a two-month-old has made you lose your mind. (laughs) You see, as silly as these examples are, so many times this is us. Uh, We have that deep, rich purpose we are created and wired for, yet we are using our limited time here for something completely opposite, something unnatural to who we are in Christ. You see, using a car as a paperweight I mean, you could, but like that doesn't live up to the true purpose that the car was designed for. Um, Using an oven as a bowling ball, I would love to see that, honestly, but not really the intended purpose. It it just goes counterintuitive to what it's made for and the same so many times as with us. Many times we feel lost or purposeless, like we're not living up to that true calling. Uh, You see, in working with youth and young adults over the years, I feel like the question I've heard over and over and over again, and even question I've asked, I'm sure many of you have asked from time to time, or maybe you're asking now, what is my purpose in this life? What am I called here to do? And while this question digs into a lot of the nuances of that, asking the specifics of what job should I take? Who should I date? Who should I marry? What school should I go to? What food should I eat? The first and foremost in that question, answering that question of what is my purpose here, it's answered throughout scripture Um, and is answered right out the gate in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It, It asks that question, question one, what is the chief end of man or what is man's purpose? And it answers it so well here. I think it says the chief end of man, our purpose on this earth is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The chief end of man, I'll say it again, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So today I want to look at what I call the bottom line of scripture, to have that perspective shift in those areas where things are off and truly glorifying God and enjoying him forever. So we're going to dive in. We're going to be in 1 Chronicles chapter 16. Uh, For those of you who don't know much about Chronicles, I know that's not kind of the typical norm of passages a lot of times. Chronicles in the Old Testament and the early Old Testament, it chronicles the people of Israel's journey uh, from creation all the way through their time of exile, all the way uh, through the early part of them coming back from exile. And obviously we're picking it up in the middle of the book, so a lot has already happened in the first first half or so of the book. Uh, So where we pick it up Uh, The king of Israel at the time, David, I know it's crazy, same name, talking about David today. Um, I promise I'm not that conceited. Uh, Has brought the Ark of the Covenant uh, back to Israel, uh, back to Jerusalem. The Ark of the Covenant at the time was the manifestation of God's glory. 
Um, and here when we pick it up, we're even jumping in the middle of the song in abundant worship and adoration and rejoicing. David sings this song and calls the people to worship. It's just this exuberant praise and thanksgiving. Um, so we're gonna pick it up starting in verse 23. So First Chronicles 16, 23. Um, we're gonna kind of break it down in chunks. So I won't read the whole thing at a time. We're gonna read sections. So it says, verse 23, sing to the Lord all the earth, tell of his salvation from day to day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. So we'll kind of break that down. There's three different exhortations or three different calls that, that David has here um, as he's singing this. It says, sing, tell, declare. So sing to the Lord all the earth. One of the ways we give glory to God is through song. The writer calls the entire earth to sing. It connects the heart and the head together. It infuses that truth into our hearts. It brings about that deep, rich joy um, and makes much of the name of God. It's that overflowing and abundant praise. Um, this kind of singing is just that unhindered adoration and joy really flowing out through our voices. Regardless of how talented we are as singers, the Lord loves that uh, joyous, cheerful singer um, and calls us here to sing. This isn't just like a, great is thy faithfulness. No, it's truly singing from the depth, from the core of our being. And I know sometimes when we come before the Lord, whether it's here, whether it's on a drive, whether it's at home, man, we have to preach that truth to ourselves until uh, we get to that spot that is overflowing with praise, that we truly sing. It call, the writer here calls the people to sing to the Lord all the earth, all to sing here. And then it says, tell of his salvation from day to day. Glorifying the Lord is also through our speech. It's through our words. The writer here calls us to speak of his salvations, the way he's saved and delivered from day to day, to daily talk about this, that it's daily on your lips, daily in your conversation. You see, when, when we recognize all that the Lord has done, we can't help but speak about it. Um, so a huge part of that, obviously, for us as believers, if you are a believer in Christ, is our salvation, um, that we've been saved, uh, that when we put our trust in the Lord, um, that Christ has come, lived that righteous life that we could never live, uh, bore our sin and our shame on the cross, died uh, that death that we so rightly deserve, rose again on the third day. When we put our trust and faith in the Lord, we are saved. Man, we can tell of that day to day. Um, a passage that comes to mind as, as I was thinking through this in Acts 4.20, uh, Peter and John are pulled aside by the leaders um, and it, they say in that, hey, you can, we'll let you go, but never speak of the name of the Lord again. Never have a conversation about Christ. Just kind of, let's put it down, not talk about it again. And they say, hey, judge for yourself. This is in Acts 4.20. Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to listen to you rather than God, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. When we so understand and have that infused truth and recognition of our God that has saved us and that continues to move and work and bring about freedom in our hearts 
um, and continue to work in abundant ways, when we're able to see that, we can't help but speak about it. So sing, tell, and then it says right after that, 1 Chronicles 16, verse 24, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all peoples. So this song is not meant to stay with us. It's meant for the nations to bring this good news. When we read this, uh, a common word here, glory, one of those common churchy words that we kind of talk about a lot, uh, but don't necessarily always define. Um, Honestly, it's a difficult word to define. It's kind of like beauty. How many of you have tried to define beauty? You can say that's beautiful, that sunset's beautiful, that uh, whatever is beautiful, but trying to define beauty is a little tricky, so it's kind of similar to that, so I'm gonna take a stab at it, uh, that glory is God's splendor and majesty displayed in all its fullness. I'll read that again, glory is God's splendor and majesty displayed in all its fullness. It's his power, his presence, his character, and person on display. So when we declare his glory, when we're glorifying the Lord, we're doing everything to reflect his greatness, to reflect who he is. So we're called to sing, to tell, to declare that among the nations. Um, to glorify him, and the reality is this call to glorify the Lord and all that we do is throughout scripture. So I'm gonna do kind of a brief survey of that, so strap in with me. Um, I wish I could spend so much more time here, Uh, but just kind of as we look throughout scripture, what I call the bottom line, uh, that bottom line is like the ultimate purpose, the ultimate result is to glorify God. So it starts even in Genesis 1-1, When you start right at the beginning of the book, it doesn't say in the beginning David Thrasher or in the beginning so-and-so or in the beginning us. It says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It starts right out the gate. The main character, God. As we continue, Psalm uh, 23, a familiar passage to a lot of us. um, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It continues on with that. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Why? for his namesake, for his glory. Um, Other passages that it talks about, Isaiah 43, five to seven, the Lord is talking to his people and he says, fear not for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name. Catch this, whom I created for my glory whom I formed and made. Uh, It continues, uh, if you've been listening on the radio or or seen kind of popular Christian songs, the blessing is one that's come up lately. Uh, In that song, it pulls from uh, Psalm 67 as well. It says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. But it doesn't just stop there, there's a pause there, Selah. And it says that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. So it says, God bless us. God, make your face shine upon us, not so that we can be awesome and so that we can be great, so that you may be glorified among the nations. 
It continues as you jump in the New Testament. Jesus is talking to the people in Matthew 5, 16. It sa- he says to the people in that same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works, so that may, they may see the good deeds, the good things you're doing, not so they can say, hey, David, you're awesome. Like, you're doing great things. Wow, so cool. No, they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That bottom line of scripture, God be glorified. It continues, Paul writes to the Corinthians, Paul just kind of oozes out uh, glorifying the Lord, it seems like, in every sentence of his work, um, his writings, but one of the ones that really stands out, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Every single thing you do, do for the glory of God. And it ends in Revelation in 4.12. It says, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Throughout all of scripture, and I would uh, challenge you if you're reading through the word, if you're going through one of those Bible reading plans, uh, if you wrote beside that bottom line, or God's glory or something like that, man, you would see that theme throughout the scriptures of the Lord uh, calling his people to give him glory. Um, So then we continue on in our passage. I digress uh, first. Chronicles, and all my notes just fell over, so bear with me. First Chronicles uh, 16 in verse 25, it just starts to say the reason for praise. So it says there, starting in 1625, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and he is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. So why should we glorify the Lord? He is worthy. It says in uh, verse 25, great is the Lord, greatly to be praised. He is great and as such calls to be praised exceedingly. And it continues from there that he is to be feared above all gods. So fear is another one of those words that gets tossed around um, a lot. That fear is to have that reverent awe, that humility, recognizing he's God, I'm not, recognizing that he is holy, that he's set apart from all others. We fear the Lord above all gods. And it continues uh, in talking about those gods. It says, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. They're weak, insignificant, worthless, nothing in comparison. An idol is anything we use to try to take the place of God. So that can be a physical thing, that can be an intangible um, concept like comfort or control or success. Um, An idol is anything that we use to try and take that place and it describes those idols as worthless. One of the passages um, that comes to mind in that Isaiah 44, 12 to 17, it talks about fashioning a wood idol. Uh, This idol maker is fashioning that, cuts down a tree, cuts the tree in half, uses half of it to burn for uh, food and heat, and the other half he fashions in an idol. One half of this wood burns to ash, the other half he goes, save me, deliver me, heal me. Worthless, it can't do what only God can do. 
So for many of us, yeah, that's in the intangibles. Some of that, a lot of those are really good and right things when in the right place, but when that's elevated, when we put that, try to put that on the throne that only God can place, it makes a terrible God. Um, If we elevate success or health or comfort or control, if we elevate um, our new car or house or career or school above and beyond the Lord, it makes a terrible God. It can never save us. It can never do what only God can do. So I want us to pause for a second just to think through what are some of those things you've made your idol? What are some of those things you have elevated above the Lord? I know for me, a lot of that, a root of my idolatry in a lot of ways is that comfort and control. I mean, I want everything to go and look and act a certain way to make much of me. um, And I also just want that comfort. I want that relief. Um, And those kind of interplay together. But when I put myself and my things and my plan on the throne, it never saves me and it's never honestly the best way every time along the way that i've made a plan and even had that conversation with the lord and said hey lord here's my plan i've got it all figured out for you here's kind of the steps if we do this then i'll go to this then we can do this and i'll be great and awesome um when i've elevated that above the lord and above the lord's plan i mean it's never worked out but the lord's plan has been so much better every step of the way um So worthless idols. In comparison though, we look back uh, at our passage. It says, for all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him, strength and joy are in his place. In contrast to the gods, the Lord literally made the heavens. I know for those of us who have been in church for a while or heard those things along the way, we tend to just gloss over that since we've heard it so much and so often. But the Lord literally spoke the heavens into existence. Like how crazy, cool, awesome is that? Um, I'd like to see our education or success or our car or whatever try to do that. It it can't. Only the Lord can. Um, Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. He is glorious and strong in the midst of his people, unlike the worthless idols. So we give glory to God. The reason for praising the Lord is because he is worthy and he alone is worthy. And then it calls us to give what is truly his. Starting in verse 28, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, bring an offering and come before him, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness, tremble before him all the earth, yes, the world is established, it shall never be moved. So it has those three ascribes, ascribe, 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 kind of tying in line with that call that we've already seen and sing, tell, declare, Um, ascribe to the Lord, Ascribe means to give, to give what is rightly his. So it calls the tribes of the nations to give to the Lord what is rightly his. It says, give to the Lord, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. We are giving him the glory, recognizing he is full of splendor and majesty, recognizing he is in control. Ascribe to the Lord glory due his name, to give again what is his, his glory that is due because he is most glorious. If you haven't heard it already, the writer here is just making sure, hey, 
Give him the glory. What are you doing? Where are you giving the glory? Give it to the Lord, for he is worthy. And it continues from there. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. To bow before him, recognizing that there's no one like him. That he is set apart above all gods. That he is the one true God. Trembling before him all the earth, recognizing his godness. Humbly recognizing our place. Woe to me, I am unclean, a sinner found in your presence who you have graciously saved and redeemed. Having that right attitude and right place. It continues there. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. The Lord made and completed creation, calling us to worship. So it might call into question as, as you hear that over and over again, give glory to the Lord, give glory to his name. Me and David, why, why is that not seen as like a selfish, sinful act? The Lord kind of sounds like he wants it all, like he's jealous for his name. The reality is he's the only one worthy of glory. When we glorify ourselves, when we glorify other people, when we glorify other things, we are giving credit to something or someone that is actually due the Lord. So an example, uh, let's say I'm having a conversation with Micah. I'm sitting with Micah, we're just chilling, having a chat, and I'm like, Micah, man, that latest greatest movie was phenomenal. Like the acting was great. Man, Micah, I'm just so proud of you and the acting that was in that movie. And Micah steps back and goes, man, I wasn't in that movie. I, I didn't play a role in that movie. I, you realize that I just saw that movie, that I, that I was just watching the movie. And I said, no, 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 no. Like the acting, man, you just crushed it. Like so proud of you. He wasn't even, he didn't even have the part. That actor or actress had that part that made that movie, the actions were a part of that. The same so often we do with the Lord though. We give glory and credit and praise uh, to something or someone or even ourselves that's actually due the Lord. All of our gifts, all of our strengths, all of our talents and abilities and knowledge and wisdom comes from the Lord. So even those things you fashion and create with your hand, the Lord has given you that ability. The Lord has given you that mind. The Lord has given you that skill. Give glory to the Lord in that. So we glorify the Lord. Remember, we're talking through the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Um, that last portion of the text really calls to enjoying him forever. It says in verse 31, let the heavens be glad, let the earth rejoice, let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, let the field exalt and everything in it. Then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. So that enjoying him forever, it just talks about the all of creation, finding that joy and rejoicing in the Lord. It's just this overwhelming joy that comes in place here that you see that contrast between the heavens, the earth, the sea, the field, the trees of the forest, everything in it, rejoicing, giving joy, giving praise to the Lord. Why? For he comes to judge the earth. He is good, his steadfast love endures forever. So we are not only to glorify God, we're called to enjoy him forever. 
not just kind of a ritual, oh, I have to do this discipline thing and I guess I'll do it, uh, this is the worst, but in that discipline, in that drive, in that desire to rejoice and enjoy the Lord, we're called to that abundant life, that life to the full, John 10, 10, Jesus talks about that, come that they have, may have life and life to the full. When we truly enjoy him, we glorify him. When we truly enjoy the Lord, we glorify him. Um, C.S. Lewis talks about it in one of these passages, if I can find my notes, bear with me. There we go. C.S. Lewis says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is offered with a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. So often we think these things or these people or these circumstances will give us joy and I find myself in that so often. Man, if I could just get to this next thing, if I could just arrive here, if I could just do this, um, then I would have true joy. True joy and true contentment is offered right here in the Lord and he's the only one that can lastingly give it. So often we're so too easily pleased. And that might beg the question, all of this rejoicing and that the Lord reigns, man, you might ask the question, why doesn't it seem like he reigns at times? Um, if I'm honest and you look around and say, it doesn't seem like he's on the throne, it doesn't seem like he's reigning. Um, there's kind of that tension of that already, but not yet. I wish I had more time to go into that and just, I could spend a long time elaborating that point, but essentially while we live in a broken world, the Lord is still in control. The Lord is still on the throne, like it talks about in Ephesians 1.20, that he's seated at the right hand, Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, um, that he is on the throne. Um, the why in a lot of cases in scripture isn't answered at a lot, a lot of places, but a few things we do know, we see how Christ responds to brokenness and evil and depravity. He, he responds by going to the cross, uh, by conquering sin and death. Um, we know as well that God is good, that God is working for our good, working for his glory, um, and that one day he's coming back to make all things new. Uh, to truly establish that full rule and reign in all of its fullness, that hope in that last part, uh, for he comes to judge the earth, to make things right. There coupled with his judgment is his steadfast love. If we're a believer in Christ, then we can find hope in his return, knowing that he's gonna come and make all things right. He's gonna make all things new and we're found righteous in Christ. We can find that hope and enjoying the Lord now and in the coming hope that he's coming back to make all things new. We are called to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So I wanna work through some, uh, just some of the tangibles of that, um, of how that can play out day to day. There's definitely a danger of over-spiritualizing this to hear something and say, okay, glorify God and enjoy him forever and all I do got it, David, let's do it. I'm gonna go play dodgeball and I'm gonna storm the walls of Jericho because it's a spiritual battle that I'm in. And using that language or that Christianese, um, not, not quite. <laughs> uh, 
Um, what this does mean, though, is that everything we do, we glorify and enjoy the Lord. I'll, I'll bring it back again, that passage in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, where Paul says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So I have three different sections in that on ways we can glorify the Lord, enjoy him forever. Um, and I would encourage you, if any of those kind of stand out to you, maybe jot that one down, if that's helpful. Write a note on your phone, write it down on your notes, however you're taking notes. Uh, our head, our heart, and our hands. So our head, how can we glorify the Lord and enjoy him forever? Um, we know and be, mind, be mindful of the Lord. So in order to glorify the Lord, we have to know who the Lord is. Um, that can be deep diving into scripture, memorizing and meditating on the word, having it on the forefront of your mind throughout a day. That can be reading books that give you a greater understanding of the character and heart of God. That can be even in taking uh, classes. Um, shameless plug there for our equip class on Sunday mornings. That can be a cool opportunity for you to continue to know and love and be stirred in affections or even our neighborhood groups. Um, or student groups or young adult groups, whatever that stage you're in can be a way for you to grow in knowledge and understanding and mindfulness of the Lord. And then even just throughout the day, being mindful of the Lord, having that conversation with the Lord. I don't know if you've slowed down to realize it, but you have a conversation with yourself throughout every day. All day long, you're talking to yourself. All day long it happens. What if instead of just talking to yourself, you started talking to the Lord? You had that conversation throughout the day, even in those small little piddly things or seemingly piddly things where you're like, man, Lord, I am really hungry. The difference there when I'm talking to the Lord about that, it's gonna start to spark those things of gratefulness. It's gonna spark those moments of, of prayer. It's gonna spark those moments rather than saying, man, I'm hungry, I'm gonna go get a snack. Saying, man, Lord, I'm hungry. Thank you, Lord, that you provided this opportunity for me to eat. Thank you for the sweet gift of Oreos and goldfish. If you're a child like me, um, thank you, Lord, for the sweet gift that I can go stop at Chick-fil-A, I don't know. Um, whatever that looks like, that can bring about that attitude of gratefulness um, and that conversation with the Lord. And then even just slowing down throughout a day. And having a two-month-old uh, little boy, Zephaniah, he, man, is, everything's new to him. So the other day, uh, we were turning the lamp on, and we turned it off, and he just, oh my gosh, that's the coolest thing. And then we turn it back on, and he's like, oh my gosh, it turns back on. What is this? This is so cool. <laughs> That awe and wonder that I feel like so often we, we just miss or forget. Man, we can have that awe and wonder of the Lord and he's kind of even in that sanctified my own heart and saying, wow, that is pretty cool. We, we press a button, we flip a switch and there's light. Like the light, kind of like the sun, it just shows up in our house. How cool is that? Lord, thank you for the ingenuity of electricity. Thank you that we have a place that we can turn on electricity. All of those things can spark from our head um, and then I know the phrase is so cheesy, so bear with me, that attitude of gratitude. Um, throughout a day, are we thankful? Are we rejoicing in what the Lord has given us? Are we rejoicing in who the Lord is? Are we grateful for that? So that head, knowing and being mindful of the Lord. Um, and then the heart, delighting and desiring the Lord, um, a way to glorify and enjoy him. 
So the Lord ultimately changes the heart. So honestly, we have to ask and plead for the Lord to continually stir our heart's affections for him. Um, But doing those things, putting yourself in the place for those things that do stir your heart. So if that's nature for you, if that's reading a good book, if that's musical worship, if that's even watching legit cool movies, if that's what stirs your heart's affection for the Lord, do those things. If it's community, if it's art, um, if it's making rubber band sculptures, I don't know, whatever stirs your heart's affection for the Lord, go back to those things. Um, Revelation 2.5 talks to the church there and says, you've abandoned your first love. Go back to the things you did at first. Um, Do the things that stir your heart's affection for the Lord. And then our hands, um, our actions. This is never meant to stay with just us. To glorify the Lord and enjoy him forever, to truly do that well, there has to be action to that. And those actions are a result of our heart and our head, uh, but can also stir our heart and our heads. So it's a mutual dependency. So we don't get this out when we're like, man, I don't feel like going to the church today. So my heart's just not going to be in it. So I just shouldn't go. Um, Or I don't feel like worshiping the Lord today or having that conversation. You're sharing the gospel. Those things are mutually dependent on one another. uh, But those actions are a way that we glorify the Lord when we share the gospel, when we truly love our neighbor, when we believe and obey what the Lord has for us, when we truly max out with all of our giftings and whatever we're doing. So using what the Lord has given us, using the time and the place that the Lord has given us, maxing that out. So our head, heart, hands. Uh, So just wanted to talk through as we wrap up places this might play out for you. So maybe it's at work or at school, this doesn't mean that the only thing that you can do is study theology or uh, attend full-time school or full-time ministry. You don't have to like sign up for DTS tomorrow, although if you want to, you should. It's awesome. Um, But it does mean working is onto the Lord um, in everything that you do. It does mean working in a way that you glorify Him. That means you're mindful of him throughout the day. You're a bright light to those around you, that you do your work to the best of your ability. And man, that convicts me right to the core. Those moments of truly, if I am working as onto the Lord, if the Lord is truly my boss, that changes everything, doesn't it? When you have just the day-to-day boss and you're like, man, I can kind of just get by and scoot by this, go team. Very different than the Lord who sees everything. Um, and is worthy of that glory to do the best of our ability with the time that we have here. Um, that we do our work, our schoolwork with integrity. That we uh, emulate that character and heart of God in our work, in our school. Um, and we do it all with gratefulness. Um, that we can be grateful in those moments uh, for that job. We can be grateful in those moments for, I know it's hard, for math homework. Uh, we can be grateful to the Lord in the good gifts he's given us and the wisdom and knowledge that we have in Christ. Um, And then what about leisure? Again, this doesn't mean that the only way to rest is to uh, show up for musical worship or read the word, uh, but it does mean doing things that actually give you true rest, uh, that don't deter from the Lord, but pull you towards the Lord. Um, So maybe that, again, is getting out in nature. Clearly, you can see that's one of mine. Um, But it could mean cooking a solid meal or or making it a dessert. It could be uh, watching a solid movie or a show that 
that doesn't deter you again from the Lord, but, but can draw you near, that can bring that true rest and leisure. Um, that's also in our devotional time. Are we slowing down to be filled by God and allowing him the space to move in our hearts and speak to us? Uh, are we even spending that time, first of all, but then are we just checking that off uh, just to get it out of the way rather than really slowing down, pressing in, and glorifying God and enjoying him forever? And the last one of those uh, in our mundane. So Paul Tripp says, if God doesn't rule your mundane, then he doesn't rule you because that's where you live. I'll read that again. Uh, if God doesn't rule your mundane, then he doesn't rule you because that's where you live. Uh, for me, in having a baby and in preparation for this sermon, there are many moments of the day that, that my wife, Michelle, and I live in. Changing diapers, burping, trying to get to go to sleep, trying to get to go to sleep again, trying to get to go to sleep again. Um, but in those moments, we have a sweet opportunity that we can glorify the Lord and make much of him because it's the area we live in most. For you, that might be the mundane in taking out the trash or doing the dishes or working on homework, doing that work report. Um, are we doing those tasks onto the Lord? Are we grateful in those moments to the Lord? Um, another thought in having awe in the midst of the mundane, G.K. Chesterton writes, uh, because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. <laughs> For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony, but perhaps, perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. What if we came to our day-to-day, -day, those monotonous tasks, with a sense of awe for the Lord for the sweet gifts he brings? Even if something as ridiculous as changing diapers, there's opportunities to be grateful to the Lord and in awe of the Lord, the sweet gift of a baby, the sweet, crazy gift uh, of how the body works, that it expels all the stuff that we don't need. That's pretty cool, right? Um, gross, but cool. <laughs> what if we came to the Lord with that awe and wonder in those day-to-day -day things? What if we were able to say, do it again, let's do it again, let's do it again? What is one way that you can tangibly glorify the Lord and enjoy him forever this week? We are daily in a battle for our affections and focus and attention. In this battle, we have the opportunity to make much of ourselves or much of the people around us uh, or much of the things around us or glorify the Lord. Can you just imagine, just think with me for a minute, the lasting eternal kingdom impact if our focus was on the Lord. We have that opportunity right here, right now to fulfill our purpose, our chief end, our calling, that bottom line of scripture to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So let's go today 
take those moments, even just those small changes to glorify God and enjoy him forever in all that we say and do. Let's pray. Lord, you are so good and so gracious. Um, You uh, have graciously saved us and graciously continue to work and move in us. Um, God, I pray that today that we would all truly take that to heart, that we would seek to glorify you, to make much of you, to abound in worship and adoration and praise uh, because you are worthy and you alone are worthy. So God, be praised in this time of musical worship, be praised in our day today, and be praised with our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.